Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 248. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech Digital, the new online community for financial services innovators. Today's challenges are extraordinary, with the upheaval affecting all areas of finance. More than ever before, we need to come together as an industry to learn from each other and make sense of this new world. Join Lendit Fintech Digital to connect and learn all year long from your peers and from the fintech experts. Sign up today at digital.lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome back Stephen Dash. He is the CEO and founder of Credible. Now, Credible is a really interesting company. They're an online loan marketplace in several different loan verticals, and we get into all the details of that, of course. They're also interesting because they, they did something that very few fintech companies do. They actually went public on the Australian Stock Exchange back in 2017. Stephen talks about uh, why he did that. He's a fellow Aussie just like me, but, so there's certainly a connection there. And he also sold his company in 2019 to Fox Corporation, which was a very interesting move. And so we go in some depth into the details of that transaction, why Credible did it, why Fox Corporation did it, and what it means for the future. We also talk, obviously, about the, the current situation today with, obviously, loan volume down in many verticals. Uh, Stephen goes through all the different verticals and sort of gives us an update on, on what's happening and, and what his, uh, his loan partners are doing. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Stephen. Thanks for having me, Peter. Of course. So last time we chatted, it was back in 2016, and quite a bit has happened since then, uh, irregardless of what's happened in the last two months. So maybe maybe like you can get started by giving the listeners just a little bit of background about the last couple of months has been like for Credible. We'll get into sort of the acquisition and thing a bit later, but let's just start there. Yeah. Well, like a lot of people, it's been it's been a challenging couple of months in the operating environment, obviously with shutdowns and all that kind of thing. The way we've we've dealt with it, we we our whole company started working from home in in sort of mid March, so before the official shutdowns had started, and that was, I guess, a real benefit of being built on modern infrastructure. We're able to very quickly mobilize the team to be working from home. We had all of the kind of the core infrastructure in place to do so. And so we implemented a couple of policies and procedures and a little bit of training for the team. But that was, you know, um, looking back over the last few months, it's been really quite seamless. So that's been good. The second thing we did is we, we implemented a we paid for everyone's health insurance in the company for six months to take some pressure off a lot of the stresses that we knew that our team members and our and, and the families of our team members were facing. So that, that was also very, very well received. But it's been a tough environment from a lender perspective. Our lenders have been under some pressure, particularly those who are, are funded through wholesale funding markets and ABS, et cetera. So we've been doing a lot of work with our lenders to try and help them through and, and where we can you know, tried to provide data insights and things like that. But it's been a, it's been a, a certainly a different operating environment over the last couple of months, not just for us, but for everyone. Um, right. but we're, we're, we're powering through and very happy with how the team is, is working in these, you know, more difficult, in this more difficult operating environment. 
Right, right. Okay, so then I want to go back and start this sort of conversation back in, uh, I think it was 2017, right, when you did an IPO, did an IPO on the Australian Stock Exchange, and which is not typical for a Silicon Valley-based uh, or, or you know, California-based uh, fintech. So tell us a little bit about why you decided to go public one and then why you decided to go public in Australia. They're linked, I'll say that. But, um, and I'll also say that it's becoming more popular. We were one of the first. We certainly weren't the first. It's becoming more popular as an alternative to growth stage capital, um, mm-hmm. public in Australia. Now, the ASX, the Australian Securities Exchange, is positioned as or is positioning itself as a junior NASDAQ. Um, and I think they use those words where a growth stage company can go public much earlier than they would in the US on the NASDAQ or the New York exchange. And so we basically lined up our, our capital alternatives, our funding alternatives, and it really was private capital in the, in the US or it was go public on the Australian exchange. And when you, you, know, you do the matrix of pros and cons, going public in Australia made sense for us. And there were really, there were really three reasons. The first, majority of our investors pre the IPO, so our seed investors, our Series A investors, our Series B investors, were all from Australia or that part of Australia and Asia. And so we, that there was a, you know, we had a, a reason for, a, a reason in that sense from an investor perspective and a, and, a, and a following in the investment community down there that made it attractive. Second reason was ongoing access to capital. So many people don't know that in Australia, you can, on the Australian exchange, it's very normal to, to raise capital on an ongoing basis in the secondary market. Um, and that's a function, as you'd know, of having many mining companies and mining explorers listed on the exchange down there. So there's a mechanism where you can raise up to 15% of your market cap per year. Um, and it's actually waived at the moment. I think it's 25 through the crisis, through a basically a placement of um, securities. So it's a low dock, quick process to raise additional capital. And we ultimately, we never needed that, but that ability to raise capital, you know, of course things need to be going well and so on, but raise capital quickly was really appealing when I lined it up against private capital. And then the third reason from a capital perspective that the ASX was attractive is when you IPO, as you know, the capital stack falls away. So all of the terms and things, the preference stack, et cetera, associated with any capital that sits ahead of common stock for the employees and myself falls away when you go public, whether you go public in Australia or public in the US. So when lined up against private capital, for us, it it made sense and it was an attractive alternative. So we went down that path. We listed in December, 2017. Right. And we should also point out like the Australian, it, it's, it's unusual for smaller companies to list in the US, but it's really very typical in Australia because there's not the VC money that you get in Australia. So companies tend to go public early, like Afterpay, for example, been public for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, whereas in the US, most of the companies have just stayed private for, for a very yeah. long time. Yeah, we were, incidentally, we were the largest technology IPO in Australia in 2017. Right. <laughs> 200, 200 million US dollars. So yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> that was probably wouldn't have made the top ten in the US that year. <laughs> exactly. 
and the costs are different as well in the right. US. Sure. The, the cost of listing is different in the in in Australia. It's it's sort of set up for growth stage. The growth the growth stage investment market is really a listed a public market. Right, right. So anyway, I want I want to fast forward through to to 2019, and yeah, you were a public company for for a little while, and then we all heard about one day that uh, Fox Corporation had uh, had agreed to to acquire you guys. So maybe start with telling us a little bit of the, of the backstory there. I mean, did you have connections at Fox? I mean, they didn't seem like a an obvious acquirer of, of someone like Credible. Yeah. So the the short backstory is we were talking with Fox about a commercial partnership. For a lot of fintech companies, customer acquisition is the number one thing that keeps people up at night. How do I, I've got a great product, how, and they're obviously all linked, but how do I acquire customers? How do I scale the business? And so we've got hundreds of partners, ranging from alumni associations for our student loan business to financial aid offices to you know online affiliates and publishers and content sites and so media was a natural conversation as a category for us to to have conversations with so we um we started a conversation with with fox um, principally around the fox business and fts the local tv stations that are um, owned and operated by fox corporation but principally fox was looking to and is now in the process of implementing a strategy around Fox business that's focused on personal finance, among other things. And so that's where the conversation started. And we pretty quickly realized, and this conversation started in the, at the start of 2019, we pretty quickly realized that there was a bigger opportunity here to, I call it a one plus one equals three, to basically join forces on building out an experience for a mass market where we could take what we do best at Credible, which is provide unbiased, an unbiased marketplace for lending products where a borrower can come in and in three minutes can understand what they're eligible for from different lenders and then they can execute that transaction all within our platform. Take that technology, which is unique, and scale it through through a mass market distribution platform, which is what Fox has across business, news, sports, local TV. And so it, yeah, pretty quick, it moved pretty quickly once we sort of saw that opportunity. And I think we were all very aligned on the size of the prize early. And yeah, the transaction went through due diligence. We announced in August 2019 and we closed the transaction in, in October. And really, Another really important part of the transaction was the capital commitment to fund our operations. Um, so we raised seventy. We had a seventy-five million dollar commitment of capital from Fox. In addition, which um, as we build out our mortgage marketplace, which is our, our newest marketplace, is important to scale that. As we um, you know we make some meaningful investments on the mortgage side, which is a massive market, as everyone knows, one point six, one point seven trillion a year of originations. And a lot of opportunity to be doing that more efficiently. So that was a that was a, a very big part of the transaction as well that we were able to secure ongoing funding. And really, the structure is we've gone we've gone private, but we are an independent entity with an independent board. And so we're really a private company again with a major shareholder, 
um, and, and we're a business unit of Fox, obviously, but we are running the company independently. Um, I'm still the CEO. The executive team is still the same. And we're, you know, we're executing against Fox, but we're also executing against all our other, you know, our non-Fox business as well. And that's not impacting, like, I, I know, um, you know, when I'm in the office in New York, which doesn't happen very often, hasn't happened for a while now, but when we, we always have the uh, office TV on CNBC and I tell you what, I see your face multiple times a day mm-hmm. on CNBC uh, advertising um, and I presume are all those relationships or all the, like, I presume Fox is just, you're, you're still running independently and there's no input into how you're supposed to market yourself. Exactly. That's exactly right. So yeah, we that's a good example. You know, we're on CNBC, we're on Bloomberg, we're on you know the, the Food Network, we're on all sorts of channels from a from, from a linear advertising perspective. We obviously we've built distribution with many partners. We've built distribution digitally with lots of affiliates. So yeah, we're 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 independent, but we do have a partnership with Fox, which gives us an opportunity to access what is a very engaged, very large audience across all of their different business units and categories from sports to business, local news, et cetera. And so it gives us just a broader platform for distribution, which, you know, if you ask any fintech CEO, as I said, this is the, this is the major for most of them will be the major thing that they worry about um, in terms of how they find customers, how they find new customers, how they build a brand. So our ability to partner with Fox on that side of things is, is a real benefit. Yeah, so I, I certainly get what's what's in it for Credible. I, and I'm, it's still not as clear to me what's in it for Fox. And I know you, you probably can't speak on behalf of them uh, directly, but you obviously you had conversations. What, what was exciting about, about Credible for them? So for those who don't, know the kind of the nuance of what credible does that's different i think that's an important place to start okay. and, and so so the way to think about credible is for a consumer we're not a lead gen site although we might look like it from the outside because we're a compa- we're a comparison tool we are we are not a lead gen site as we define it we provide a borrower in 3 minutes with accurate rates based on their personal situation their credit history their employment the, the, the current loans that they have if they're looking at a refi and we give the borrowers a dashboard of options in an impartial way. So we don't filter by whichever lender pays us the most. We filter by the lowest total cost. So it's an impartial platform where a borrower can make that selection. And then like a lot of sort of lead gen platforms, you'll typically the borrower would then click off and apply to the lender that they, they selected and they'll, put more information, the same information again, and they'll go and speak to a, the bank or the non-bank lender that they're working with. With Credible, you finish the process on Credible. So regardless of which lender you select, the checkout process. So for mortgage, that's a significant part of the process. Right. It's filling out the 1003, it's uploading documents, it's signing the various disclaimers and disclosures, signing the promissory note that occurs on the Credible side. So. We're really the end-to-end marketplace from comparison to checkout. It's probably, you know, an e-commerce sense is the best way to think about it. So for Fox, because that's, once that was understood, I think that was sort of the, that was sort of the, the important moment where the clarity of where the synergy was was clear. Because for a media company that's, for any media company, as they think about 
where the opportunities are for them for growth. It's about transforming a business into being, and, and this is not just a, a Fox thing. I think it's all, you're seeing it with a lot of media companies, how they become more a part of a transaction. How do they, how do they play deeper in the value chain? Mm-hmm. And, and that is where there's, there's real opportunity to leverage the technology that we've built against a big audience. So their audience is highly engaged. It's broad. It's, a, it's big. And so how do they add value to that audience in, you know, in, a, in a way that is doing the right thing by the customer? And so when you, when you understand the nuance of what credibilism, why it's different, I think it makes a lot of sense for someone with an engaged audience to want to add value to that audience, to want to provide more, more value. And, and that's sort of where the conversation started. And then for us with mortgage, um, there's obviously a mortgage can be a very localized product, unlike a, you know, an online personal loan or unlike a credit card, really unlike a student loan, a mortgage is, is something that, that the local expertise can really help. So, you know, local testimonials, local realtors, and so that access into the local market through the through FTS, the Fox TV network, is another big benefit where you can take that same concept and you can add value to those geographic right. to the geographic footprint. Right. Okay. So you've you, you know you, you said you closed in October last year. We're recording this in uh, in late May, and you know, so it's more than six months. You know, what, what have you noticed? I mean, are you seeing, are you gathering a whole bunch of Fox uh, subscribers or Fox, Fox viewers into your, net, into your company? So we're, we're, I would say, the first thing I would say is, is it's early on in the, right. um, in the integration, in the partnership. We've done a lot of planning, which has been good, and we're, we're, um, we're early. But, yeah, we're live on, on Fox Business, so you can go on to Fox Business and in the personal finance section, can find a, a whole series of content that's produced in partnership between Credible and Fox. There are integrations, widgets, calculators, tools, etc. Throughout the content, there are there is net, we're now live on um, the local TV CMS. So on the local on the digital side. So whether it's KTVU in Oakland or the, the Dallas network um, in Texas you can access Credible through the Fox digital properties today. I would say we've been number one, and this is probably the most important part, very pleased with the fit between the audience and our products. We obviously have, we now in, we started in student loans, but we now have a student loan origination and refi product, we have a personal loans product, we have a credit card product, we have a mortgage origination product and a mortgage refi product. So we really have a broad array of products in the lending space. And so the important litmus test for us early on with the partnership was, is there a match with the audience? That was always a risk. And Mm -hmm. it's very clear when you look at um, response rates and you look at approval rates, we're seeing very high quality traffic. And I think that speaks to the thesis of having a highly engaged audience and having a great product experience. So the early signs are very positive and we're really just, we really are just getting started in terms of, you know, we've been live for a few months now, but there's, there's certainly big ambition for, and there'll be more things that you'll see over time as we launch them, um, but more opportunities to, again, bring, to, bring together 
audience plus great product um, right. and make it available to more people. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then let's let's switch to gears to you know today's world, and you know we have basically loan volume down across the board, maybe with the exception of mortgage refi. I'd love to sort of, you know, given you've got a great window into the different verticals, what are you seeing? Are you seeing any, any of the verticals you mentioned um, starting to tick back up yet or, or, or just what, what are you seeing? Yeah, so it's vertical by vertical, as, as you say, is very, there's, there's different factors at play. So I'll start on student loans. It's still our biggest category. On student loans, obviously, the federal loan interest waiver was announced and that runs for six months. So we've seen, we've seen some impact from that. Ultimately, it's federal loans are not the majority of loans that are refinanced through right. the private lenders. They're typically uh, skewed towards private loans. They're often a mix. but So that's one factor that's, that's influencing that business. But for the most part, I'd say that's a pretty student loan refi been pretty resilient. Student loan origination, this is busy season coming up now, summertime. It's mm -hmm. been delayed um, as schools are deciding whether they're going back to the classroom. There's question marks on costs of tuition. There's question marks on is it an online course this year, et cetera, et cetera. So that's in a state of flux at the moment, I would say. But our expectation is there's a delay. Um, but ultimately, you know, there's still plenty of demand for college. And therefore, there's plenty of demand for, for student loans to, to attend college and private student loans in particular to fund the gap in costs. On the personal loan side, I would say that's the hardest hit in terms of impact. And I'm sure you've seen that with a, with a lot of the people in, your, in the fintech community where particularly non-wholesale you know wholesale funded lenders have seen some challenges on the funding side. And so we've been working with our lending partners where we can to provide data to be flexible, and we've seen a reduction in volume, not surprisingly, in, in that category. And so we're now seeing that we've sort of got through, I think we've got through the worst of it, and we're starting to see recovery in terms of capacity to lend and underwriting criteria, normalising. But, yes, yeah, some lenders through that period, it, it did expose, I think, expose some challenges for some of those lenders, and we... We saw, we saw some lenders pull out of the market um, completely. We saw others pause. We saw some power through and pick up market share during that time. So every lender reacted a little bit differently. One interesting anecdote is for not on personal, uh, maybe a little bit on personal loans, more so on other categories, because we're, you know, you've seen how Amazon has done very well through this crisis as there's an acceleration towards digital as it comes as it pertains to e-commerce we, we actually saw a similar thing on the on the lending side where we were increasing volume where branch network volume originated for some of our lenders was reducing so we were able to help them plug that hole because their branches were closed so that was i thought a pretty interesting dynamic where even though funding capacity might not have increased funding or channel mix for a lender changed more towards digital than the branch network, which is not every lender, but, but certainly bigger lenders and mid-sized lenders have a branch network. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic. On mortgage, rates are low. The media would say, this is the time to refi. 
but lenders they're being very they're being more cautious i would say as it pertains to things like employment verification because we've seen record unemployment how old you know yes that's a pay stub from march but how do we know you're still employed today so lenders are certainly looking at those types of things very very closely but generally speaking mortgage refi volume is is up a lot mortgage purchase given its spring home buying season now which is sort of the the peak season for for mortgage origination and that's being delayed because you know there's a, you can't inspect a home when when you're in lockdown um, mm-hmm. so we're seeing i expect that will bounce back but we're seeing we're seeing a delay there Right. And so you're, you, you work obviously with, with non-banks, banks and credit unions. Is, are you seeing differences between those kind of three kind of broad categories in how they've reacted to this crisis? Yeah. Deposit funded lenders are in a very strong position because they've got sticky deposits. That's like, that's not, ground, that's not a groundbreaking insight. We saw rates increase across the board in like the end of March even though official interest rates came down. So across all products, we more or less saw an increase as people were just a little conservative about Mm -hmm. their underwriting. And then very quickly, we saw adjustments. So I think people's first, or lenders' first reaction was, ooh, uh, we might be going into a recession here. Let's, Let's increase rates. We just want to make sure. Then, you know, a week later, once they look at the numbers and performance, et cetera, there were, there were movements again. So everyone reacted a little bit differently, but I would say yeah, the deposit funded lenders, and, we, and as you say, we work with everyone across the board um, with different funding profiles, et cetera. Deposit funded lenders were probably the most aggressive in terms of picking up market share um, mm-hmm. through the dislocation. Right, right. And so when you say you, you, you do things end to end on credible, do you do that with every single lender because i imagine there's going to be some that are going to be a little bit more reticent to give you you know to give you access to to give you you know the information needed to do end to end so does it differ or how does it work so it differs by product category mm-hmm. it does not differ by lender so for the most i'll say for the most part so let me give you a couple of examples so for a more complex process, so mortgage, student loans, they're more complex than, say, personal loans or credit cards. So a, a credit, our credit card marketplace is not end-to-end. It is a because it's a straightforward, very easy click-off experience and you, you, you applying for a credit card takes 25 seconds. Personal loans falls somewhere between those two categories where on Credible you can compare the pre-qualified rates I described We've built integrations with our lending partners on personal loans where once you decide on the, the loan, the, the accurate rate loan from the dashboard based on your personal situation, the accurate rates that are provided, once you select your loan product, you finish the process from there with, with the lender directly. And that's a relatively straightforward process because it's a personal loan. For student loans, student loan refi, mortgage, mortgage refi, the end-to-end process occurs on the credible side. So we house the underwriting models of our lending partners. We collect the 1003 on mortgage, for example. We collect all documents. So mortgage is the most comprehensive end-to-end experience and it's because it's the most challenging. So we're able to provide a really slick user journey because we're built on a 
you know, modern infrastructure, modern technology, et cetera. And we do house the pricing and underwriting models of our lending partners on our platform. On student loans, there are some compliance and regulatory nuances that mean that the very final signing of the promissory note and any documents, if required, a lot of lenders don't require documents, that occurs on the lender's side as well. So it's not specific to a lender. It's specific to a category. So we have, we have consistency across lenders within the categories. And that hasn't been an easy thing to build no. over time. <laughs> not like we turned up and said, hey, everyone, this is what we're doing. It's taken a long time to build that. But we're in a spot now where we've, been able, we've managed to build that over eight years. And what it means is for the consumer, you get that, that pure experience where right. your, your information is not sprayed out to multiple lenders. You can get accurate pre-qualified rates based on your personal situation without that occurring. And then you can complete the process, the checkout process on Credible, on Credible's modern infrastructure. So that's really the seat. That's the core to you know, our technology and how we've been successful. Right, right. So once, once they've checked out on Credible and you send it over to the, to the lender, what you're saying is it's, it's pretty much 100% guarantee that you're going to get the loan because you've because you're housing the underwriting model correct it's the firm offer of credits actually displayed on i'll take student loans for an example you're on you haven't spoken to the lender you haven't been on the lender's site the firm offer of credit firm offer valid for 30 days is displayed on credible right so all you're doing when you click off is you're signing the let's say they don't require any additional documents you're signing a promissory note and and it's done so you get the binding offer inside the credible experience. Right. And you're dictating, like obviously, you know, different different borrowers want to optimize for different things. Some want to optimize on a monthly payment, some want a low interest rate. So are you, you're taking that into account and you say, right, okay, here's, here's the, all the lenders, this one's best for you based on what they want. Is that how it works? We don't, we don't dictate which one's best for the consumer. Ah, we, let the consumer okay. we let the consumer decide. So we'll, it's no different to going to Kayak or Expedia where... Right. Some people care about not stopping. Some people care about flying with a particular airline. You know, some people care about, most people care about price. So similarly, once you land on the dashboard, you, you can have confidence that these offers are not rate ranges. These are not marketed rates. These are not one size fits all. These are, these are rates and offers and terms that are specific to your situation. So you can feel confident that, it's not a bait and switch situation. What you see is what you're going to get. And you can then filter. Our default filter is lowest total cost, but you can filter by lowest, lowest total payment. On mortgage, for example, you can filter by the term of the loan. You can filter by the type of the loan, whether it's an arm or, or not. Right. Um, and so you've got all that filtering capability within the dashboard, but ultimately the borrower decides uh, right. which, which loan product they want. Right, so you, you know, you've got a you've got a pretty good connection with your customers, like much better than probably than what the the lead gen type companies uh, have, because they are really sending sending them off in many ways, most of them. So, I'd be curious about. I mean, it seems to me you've got this engaged customer, and you've got all the different lending pieces. It seems to me there's 
the other side of the balance sheet is is ripe for the picking for you guys. I mean, are you thinking about like like, like savings, wealth management, you know, stock trading, any uh, any of those kinds of things? I mean, is th- is this on your roadmap? I think eventually, I agree with you. It makes sense to move into other products, particularly if we've built trust with our audience. And I think there's, there's very good signs that that our customers trust what we're doing because of the inherent you know, promise of the product that we're providing independent, an independent platform and a, a very slick, modern user experience. Right now, we're very focused on our, on our current categories. Mortgage, for example, has been live now for you know, a little over 12 months. It's where we're very, very focused. It's a huge market. So yeah, we're very focused there. So I think eventually it makes sense for us to consider other product categories, insurance, wealth management, savings, payments. But for right now, we're very focused on the loan categories that we're operating in today. Right, right. Okay, so the last question, I mean, what, what are your plans you know, for the rest of the year to get through you know, this difficult time? What's sort of in the, in the near-term future for Credible? Near term, yeah, again, mortgage is a big focus for us. So we have a, we're making a significant investment in our mortgage platform. We have already. We're continuing to make a significant investment. And what does that mean? It means that we're trying to make the experience even smoother for the borrower and make it even more efficient by eliminating redundancy in the, in the experience. So big, big focus there. Now, mortgage, unlike non-mortgage, so student loans, personal loans, et cetera, is right now the industry is more people intensive because there's loan officers, there's processes, there's closers at lenders, et cetera. And so what we're really building is software to help our, we have loan officers on our staff, employees on the, on, um, at Credible who are, who are the loan officers who run the, the, the process for our borrowers. We're very focused on giving them tools to operate more efficiently. So there's a lot of under the hood, what we call back of funnel and mid funnel work um, and software that we're building to make this process more and more efficient. And again, making this process efficient helps both sides of the marketplace, helps consumers because it makes it easier, less burdensome and, and saves them time for lenders it allows us to produce a mortgage more efficiently than perhaps some of their existing infrastructure or their existing branch network. And so there's really value on both sides by making the process more efficient. So that's really where we're focused right now. And we're obviously on our non-mortgage business, it continues to grow strongly and, um, and, and we continue to optimize and build distribution through that part, through that part of the business. And then, so, Mortgage, non-mortgage, and then across the board, we're always looking for distribution partners to continue to scale our platform and make Credible available to more and more people. We've got, I think, 350 partners across the range of folks I mentioned, as well as you know, employers and online affiliates and blogs. And um, we obviously do a whole bunch of direct-to-consumer, Facebook, Google, TVC, et cetera. So um, focused on continuing to scale the platform as well. Right. Okay, then we'll have to leave it there, Stephen. It's always great to chat with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Peter. Okay, see you later. 
So it's pretty obvious to me the value proposition for Credible and why they've been successful. Obviously, they needed to execute well, and Stephen has certainly done that. But if you're a borrower and you really want to make sure you're getting the best rate, the best deal, you don't you don't want to go and input your data at four or five lenders. You want someone to basically take all your data and tell you which one's best for you. And obviously, you can you can decide what's what what's most important to you. But the, it's it's a real value add. And I see the, you know you see it in the small business space, and I think in the in the consumer space, there hasn't been really a company like Credible that gets into this much depth into really where they they house all of really the underwriting models for all of their lenders in-house and really are able to you know give people a, a fantastic user experience because they know when they go through the credible process that uh, that they can be approved so this sort of intermediation with value add is certainly something that uh, you know you see it in the small business space as i said see it in the consumer space and uh, and credible is really the poster child for that i think Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech Digital, the new online community for financial services innovators. Today's challenges are extraordinary, with the upheaval affecting all areas of finance. More than ever before, we need to come together as an industry to learn from each other and make sense of this new world. Join Lendit Fintech Digital to connect and learn all year long from your peers and from the fintech experts. Sign up today at digital.lendit.com.